Wow. Thank you so much, Heather, for being here. I'm so happy to actually meet you finally after speaking so much on Clubhouse. I know. Thanks. You too. You're welcome. Random popping into one of your rooms to chill, basically. Yeah. You know, when you did that, I was like, Heather is here. I didn't think she would notice me. (laughs) (laughs) I have alerts turned on for... um, a lot of Pinterest marketing people and you're one of the few that up to that point I didn't actually have an alert on when they start a room um, and it was it was the Thursday night my husband wasn't work he was at work my kids were busy and I was like I'm bored what's on clubhouse and I saw your room and I was like oh I wonder what he's talking about let's let's meet this person <laughs> I'm just gonna listen and then you pulled me on stage right I was like yeah you definitely deserve to be on stage <laughs> <laughs> Wow, but it's so good to have you here. You know, Pinterest is what we're definitely going into because it's an underrated underdog and people don't see it. And I really want people to learn about it from your perspective and your experience. But before we get there, let us know more about you, what you do and, you know, what what you're working with right now. Yeah, so I'm normally not a closet dweller. It's just today. Um, but I've been doing, uh, Pinterest marketing for five years, almost to be five years in the fall. And, um, I mainly work with content creators. They're my favorite, um, just cause I'm a content creator myself and that's where I started. Um, I started as a blogger. That's what I called myself back then. I don't like that term much anymore. I like content creator, but, um, I also occasionally will help e-com clients. Um, we do everything. So I, I have an agency. I have a YouTube channel, uh, a clubhouse following, obviously. Um, So with all of that, all of these people who are looking to me for Pinterest marketing advice um, also came clients, which is just a natural part of the progression. And I've actually been managing client accounts for four years now. And um, like I said, my favorites are content creators. Occasionally I'll help with e-com, mainly only in the ad space. Um, these days because it's so hard to grow an e-com business without content on Pinterest. It's just a challenge. So um, just in a nutshell, that's kind of what I what I do. Does that help? That definitely helps. <laughs> it definitely answers a lot of questions because when people think about Pinterest, like you said, they end up becoming clients because they don't know what to do by themselves. So are you able to tell us one of those things that happen to Pinterest business users that want to use it but don't know how to? Yeah, so uh, one of the most common things that I hear, like almost every time I have a discovery call with someone and they're like, just just help me because I don't know how to make pens or even schedule them. Um, So we do a complete like white glove service within the agency where we'll do all of it from pin creation to research, writing all the descriptions and copy to scheduling it. Um, so that's probably one of the things that most people struggle with when they're just getting started is figuring out how to pin and getting their content from nothing, like not existing to actually being on Pinterest. So probably the easiest way to do that is through the create tab, just on Pinterest. The create tab is amazing. And Mm-hmm. Could you tell us more about that? Because we have the we have Create Pin, 
we have the create idea mm-hmm. pin, and then we have the create ad. Why are those three creations important and as though they're being there for a particular reason? Yeah, so the create pin tab will, there's there's two very different types of pin types on, on Pinterest. So inside of the create pin tab, you actually have more than just one. So you can create a static image uh, with that create tab, or you can also upload video to that tab and have a video pin. And then the create idea pin tab is the new feature they just released. They released at the end of 2019 sneakily, and then it was out all of 2020, even though they've said it's only been out for like seven months as of filming this, like, no, it hasn't. It's been out for quite a long time. So they have the idea pins, which is like the native stories on Pinterest, kind of like Instagram stories, but not like Instagram stories, but on steroids. Um, You can't link out from them or anything like that. And we might talk about that later, but um, you can create idea pins inside the idea pin builder on desktop. You don't have as many features as you do on mobile. Um, And then the create ad tab is just that you can create an ad from your pins it's going to take you into your ads manager if you've never been in there before it's going to make you accept terms of service add your billing set all that stuff up and then you can run ads so that's essentially like the create tab in a nutshell i like the fact that you can use carousel pictures static images videos all in the create pin tab but sometimes people look at the cre- the create tab and they're like, I don't know what to do. Like I'm seeing all text here. I'm seeing description pin. Sometimes it says screen readers don't pass 40 characters. So those are the little things that they don't even, f- even the size of the image matters. So mm-hmm. are we able to like simplify it for them to know exactly what they should be focusing on so that they don't miss out on the simple stuff? Yeah, so from the get-go, most people create their Pinterest images in Canva. That's the most common design platform. Um, inside the Create Pin tab, you can actually upload just a naked image, is what I usually call them. So just an image, and you can add text onto it inside that Create tab. Now, it's not the prettiest thing in the world. You're limited in the kind of text and size and font and all that. Um, so what I would do from the beginning of all of this, if you're brand new, is create a Pinterest image in Canva. It's the easiest way. There's all kinds of tutorials on YouTube, figure out how to do that. And then upload it to that create tab on Pinterest. And then you have a bunch of different options like what they were just said. You have the pin title. So that's actually the title of the pin. And you wanna make sure you're including the keyword there that you want that pin to be found in. So most common, most often, people use the same text overlay in their pin title. And that's okay, especially if you're swapping out pin text overlays and your text overlay is just simply the text you put on your image in Canva. If you're swapping that out pretty frequently, you can use that as your pin title, it's fine. Don't stress yourself out or do a ton of extra work. And then you have a description box where you can write up to 500 characters Um, If you ever listen to me on Clubhouse and I'm talking about this, I teach quite often the 5 by 5 by 500 rule. So five keywords, five sentences, 500 characters. I am long-winded, so I can write five sentences and easily get a paragraph. 
So I like to just incorporate those keywords in there and try to max out the amounts, the space they give us. If they give us 500 characters, just like Instagram says 30 hashtags, use all the space that you have available. And then I actually just copy and paste the description because I write the description for a human, not a computer, uh, right into that alt text box. And that's what the screen readers will read to people who are visually impaired. And it's just a really great feature giving a platform availability to people of all, you know, options, right? Right. And then your link is just that. It's wherever you want that pin to point to. So if you wanted it to go to your most recent blog post, then you'll put that URL there. And then you have two options after that. Well, you have three. You need to choose a board, but that's not really an option. That's mandatory. And then you have two options. You can post it now or you can schedule it for later. That's great. And then there's even more, but like that's the basics. Yeah. I love how you said that the in-text graphic, the graphical text that you have on your picture should still be on your pin title. When people hear that, it's like, it sounds common. Even the file name, they're like, oh, I'm supposed to do that. What does that really do in the long run for someone who has no idea of what they're actually practicing? Yeah, so it helps your pin to get indexed. So if, if you're watching this and you don't even know what that means, um, it's very similar to what Google does when they crawl your website and they index. They basically, it's like a file cabinet. There's these bugs that are going out and they're crawling your site and they're crawling your Pinterest images and they're taking all the data from it and they're putting it into a file in a cabinet and then they close the drawer. When they close the drawer, that's your pin being indexed on the platform. So all of those pieces that I just walked you through from the Pinterest image and actually what image you use, so the stock photo or the design that you created to put on that Pinterest image, as well as the text overlay, um, as well as the file name, which I don't find to be super important. And then the pin title, the pin description, and your URL, all of those pieces are taken into consideration, broken down, and it tells the platform exactly what your pin is about. And then it marks it up on a document, is what their the algorithm calls it. And then they file it away, or they index it. And that indexing is important for people to be able to find your pin. So if I created a pin about Pinterest marketing strategy in 2021, which I do all the time, right? That's what I blog about. Yeah. <laughs> um, all of those keywords, all of those data points that I'm putting on that Pinterest image that I'm telling the platform my pin is about, it's going to file away for me. So when someone like Faber comes around and they search for Pinterest marketing strategy in 2021, hopefully my pin then will come out of the drawer to the top of the search that's that's a very nice actionable way of putting it because i like how you mentioned about the five rule and when you talk about that a little bit more before i go into the keywords part when you don't exhaust that space do you leave room for other people to fill in that gap or are you supposed to fill in that space and be intentional about who you're serving depending on how they structure their phrasing yeah, so you really want to um, use all of the space that you have available to you. And you mentioned we're going to talk about keywords, so we can talk about that in a second. But what I like to do with those five keywords that I'm choosing for the Pinterest image is 
incorporate keywords that are not exactly the same, but similar. So let me explain. I have a pin about Pinterest marketing strategy. So my main keyword will be Pinterest marketing strategy. And then I have four other options that I can have my pin show up and search for. So what are the, what are the reasons why someone wants a Pinterest marketing strategy? They want more sales. They want more traffic. They want to grow their online business. Maybe they're even searching for like how to grow a blog. So I can use those four search terms in addition to my Pinterest marketing strategy and write a nice little story about this pin. And when that gets indexed, then all of those keywords that I've used in that pin, if someone searches for any one of them, I'm likely to come up and search for that. Perfect. Yeah, that shows that everything that you're posting or pinning is going to go a long way when you leave it in the algorithm because when you're indexing it, it's like the the older the post is, the more richness it gets. But they also say that the fresher the pin is, the faster it reaches. Have you heard of that before? Um, I don't know that I've heard that before. Can you say that again? Like the older the post in terms of the index, the more authoritative it is, but but the fresher yeah, I, the pin. I heard something else. Oh, okay. When you said that, I heard, I heard something else. Yeah, so that's what we like to call legacy pins, right? They've been on the platform a long time. They've gotten a lot of um, juice behind them, especially yeah. if they've gotten picked up and they're either seasonal in nature or if they're evergreen, they're consistently being engaged with. So how the algorithm works is every single time. So they write that initial document for you, right? When you pin your pin the first time, they write that document and index it. Well, every time there's an engagement on that pin, saves clicks, um, like pin clicks, which are close-ups, link clicks, which go to your website or comments, any engagement on the platform rewrites additional documents that are then added to that file for that Pinterest image. And it brings it back. It keeps refreshing that document and adds to it. So if you have a pin that goes viral, um, it's going to have a ton of documentation on it and it's likely to be favored in the algorithm. Then um, I think probably every single pinner on Pinterest has one pin that just is wicked popular all the time. Right. I know I do. For all of my domains, I have one like just wicked popular pin consistently. And when you look at that one wicked popular pin and you see what you did, if you try and replicate it, can the same thing happen or is it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm a reason. I have one example I teach on quite often for my travel blog. And this has been a couple of years, but I forgot to click the little option to not allow people to pin square images from my blog when I posted that blog post. And it's literally an image of me sweaty in a dirty tank top, pinning curtains in my RV. And it's a tiny square image. And that pin gets me hundreds of thousands of impressions and thousands of page views a month. Wow. It's stupid. It doesn't have any text. It's square. It's literally just an image of me, of my back. In fact, <laughs> the back of my head. So, That's so random. <laughs> So when you look at those kind of things now, it means that you can rank for anything as long as your content is relevant. Honestly, your back can be trending, you know? You know, 
that's really what it comes down to. And that's exactly what I've just been walking you through is the whole concept of relevancy and how the algorithm actually indexes content. Exactly. Speaking of content, we think about keywords and this keywords, I keep hearing of, of late that people say, oh, the keywords used to be somewhere at the bottom of the search. Now it's gone. What do we do? You know, we're stressed. Now, when people are thinking about keywords, they think Google, they think YouTube, some, they, some of them don't even think Pinterest. So where does someone yeah. go to? Because we think about all text, SEO and all this good stuff, but some people don't even understand the basic formula. So what can they do with SEO and how can they enhance their Pinterest marketing? So the whole platform is a search engine. Inherently, like it was designed to be a visual pin board originally in 2010. And within about a year and a half of us being established, they realized that people were coming to the platform and searching for things and using it just like people use Google. And that's when they first started introducing introducing their first machine learning uh, search engine capability. Guided search was the very first version of it. And they're continuing to con- they're continuing to build on it and make it even better. Um, so Pinterest in and of itself inherently is a search engine, even though that's not what they meant to do when they started it. They had no intentions of it being a search engine. So people go to Pinterest and they search for how to decorate a closet. I don't know, like I'm sitting in a closet right now, like how do I build built-ins in my closet? Like that's the kind of content they're searching for. Or how do I cook salmon on the grill? And all of these pins come up, these visual search results come up and within those are additional keyword searches that you could also utilize so the different things that i teach in my uh, membership academy on clubhouse youtube is sorry i'm getting over a cold um no problem the different things that i teach is to first use the search bar on pinterest and see what the autofill is so it's just like google there's an autofill Look at the terms that are coming up that have big, bold, black text in the results right after your phrase. And then it once you hit enter on how to cook salmon on the grill, pay attention to the top pins in search. They're the top pins in search for a reason. Look at the text overlay. Try to find out their most common keyword that they're trying to target is going to be in big text. It's like pin design 101, basically. And then look at their pin title too. What's in their pin title? Are they using like how to cook grilled salmon as their pin title? That's probably their main keyword. And then go a step further if you wanna even get, you know, into stalker territory, which is totally me. Click on the Pinterest image, bring it up in in the big view and look at their description. Now, here's the caveat. Legacy pins, before people really started taking advantage of that description box, oftentimes won't even have a description and that's so annoying. So if they don't, keep moving. Now in the search results, if you scroll down, you know how at the bottom of Google it has related searches? Yeah. The same thing is embedded inside the Pinterest search results in the pins. So you've seen this because you're very familiar with the platform, but your listeners or viewers may not. So scroll down three to five scrolls generally, you may have to scroll a little further and there's a tiles in a vertical fo- vertical flow that say related searches. Yeah. Those search terms are related to your main search you just searched for. Those are keywords, copy and paste them out. And then 
in the shop tab, if you're a product seller or if you're doing shop related things, there's even shop product related keywords in there in the same way. And then the other two ways I look for keywords on Pinterest is the ads manager. So there's a keyword search feature in the ads manager and in Pinterest trends, which you can find by going to trends.pinterest.com. Those are gems right now. This is what people should be. <laughs> people should be definitely, you know, like rewiring their mindset because you've given them a lot to think about. And it just makes them understand that it's all about intention. Like I intentionally want to know how to cook salmon. I'm not going to cook fish or cook tilapia or cook. I want to cook salmon. Like I, I want to be staying within my niche. So as a business with Pinterest, is it the is it the consistency of saying the same thing, like you said, those five things over and over again that gives you that legacy? Or is it just you showing up and being diversified with your content? Both. So one of the things that I also teach my membership academy is to use the keywords that you want to be found for, use them consistently. Pepper the crap out of them. Now, don't be spammy about it, but every time you have a pin about how to grill salmon, you should use that keyword on how to grill salmon. Now, we are hearing and learning and teaching consistently about creating fresh pins, which just means new versions of the old ones that you made. So the very first time you make a pin that's new, it's brand new, right, to the platform, you're going to make more pins of that salmon recipe. You're not just going to make one and be done. So every time you create a fresh pin for that, use that keyword as long as it's appropriate. Now, if you're talking about how to bake salmon, it's probably not appropriate to use the grilling keyword. Right. And then, you know, use it consistently, but also be publishing consistently. If you take a four month break, then you're probably going to see a dip in overall profile impressions and outbound clicks. Mm. So outbound clicks, people don't know how important those things are, especially when you look at the, in, the Pinterest analytics. And do those things make sense to tell you whether people like your content as opposed to no clicks at all? Or is it just based on the fact that it just looks nice? <laughs> you know? So, yeah, the analytics are going to be... I could geek out over analytics all the time. Okay, so when you're looking and thinking about your analytics on Pinterest and how people are using the platform, inherently there are, as people, we have different intent when we go to the platform. Like when I'm meal planning on the weekend, I'm actually looking for stuff that I'm going to go to the store and buy. So when I am, like I just finished a living room, like a little YouTube recording studio, it took me four months of searching, shopping, and planning this space to spend $400 on the three things that I bought and ultimately put them in my living room, right? So the user intent when I started looking for the recording studio versus the user intent when I'm looking to meal plan are totally different. I'm in planning mode. It's just the easiest concept to think about as you can relate this to yourself is a new, a new mother who just got pregnant and she's planning and she's got 10 months before that baby's going to come in that 10 months. She's not likely in the first four to five months to buy anything because you have the first and second trimester. You want to get through those before you really think about bringing anything into the house. And then third, fourth trimester, she starts nesting and that's really when she starts buying things. 
So those first two trimesters, that first like five months of her pregnancy, she's planning. She's not actually interested in buying anything right now. She may be putting things on a board, thinking about the nursery, thinking about the baby shower, and how this is gonna fit into her life overall. So the user intent when she goes to the platform is gonna be different depending on what phase of life she's in or what she's searching for. <clears throat> so as you are on the platform, as you are creating Pinterest images and you're doing that keyword research, you wanna keep that in mind um, as you're doing that creation and pinning because if you notice in your analytics, you don't have a lot of outbound clicks. Now we're coming back around. I have ADHD. <laughs> we're coming back around. Um, if you look at your analytics and you see, okay, this pin has a ton of saves, but no clicks, then people are interested in it, but they're not interested in it right now. So how do you make it relevant? How do you get people to click on it? And that's gonna ebb and flow over time, especially if it's seasonal content. Um, but when you're looking at your analytics in general, if you get a lot of impressions, but no clicks and saves, then there was something about that image that just sucks. And it's not connecting with the person on the other side. So if you get a lot of impressions, a lot of clicks, a lot of saves, then you've done something right. And you need to try and model that. Now, sometimes, especially with the RV, hitting the curtains, you know, the sweaty back issue. You can't really do that, right? That's probably not going to happen. Right. But if you do create a really killer Pinterest image, you have a really awesome pin style, uh, you can try to model that and take note of the keywords that you used and maybe the imagery and see if you can do it again. Um, but overall, like those are what, I, that's kind of what I tell my students and my clients. Like if you have a lot of impressions, low clicks and saves, there's something wrong with your image. If you have um, kind of like mediocre saves, no clicks, is it timely? What about it? Can, can you add a call to action? Is it just not timely right now? People are planning. It's going to be popular later. A great point for that is like Christmas. People start planning for Christmas in like August. So you're going to start seeing a, a jump in your saves in that seasonal content early and then clicks on it the closer the holiday comes. Mm. So that, hopefully that helps. It does. It really does. So essentially saves help people plan and clicks help people pretty much go through the action plan, the call to action, which is buy now or shop now. So it's it's very proactive, it's very informative and it, it builds interest over time. So I I love that concept. And you mentioned something about related searches too that if you use those five related searches and you put that into your next pin, are the chances high of you getting into that same search result feed from somebody else's board or timeline feed or is that highly dependent on the performance of your post? going to be dependent upon the overall performance. Um, I'm sure people listening to this, if they've created any Pinterest images over the last year, they've noticed that some take off and some don't. Right. And it all really comes back to indexing and those first signals the platform gets when someone sees your pin. So the very first time you pin it and you, you hit post, if no one engages on that pin to begin with, like they're going to put it out to people. And if nobody engages on it at all, they're going to not serve it to as many people the next time it gets called up. So it's really important for those 
first few times that you you pin or the first time that you pin an image that it gets engagement yeah so you can't fake it either you can't fake the engagement you can't go and use another account and pin it like they know so all of that data writing it's doing in the beginning when you very first push go people saving it people clicking it you know going to your website those are all good indications that it's going to continue to get served um and each individual pin is treated as an individual image so just because one did really well does not mean any of the others are going to do well exactly and i think it makes a lot of sense when you have your pins and boards connected to the most relevant content because some people could have different sections and they may think oh yeah it's this section this section but when you pin it to a section and compare it to a board does it change or does it help the algorithm because the board is in a bigger space or it doesn't really even matter doesn't matter because sections were built for consumers and not businesses so that's very much the consumer front-end feature that they introduced a few years ago they have it has no bearing on the the overall uh, relevancy or seo of your individual board so your board title is um vital your board description is vital and you want to make sure when you're creating those boards you're not using cutesy terms or um emojis or symbols or anything like that because it's a machine it's reading that and that's how it's going to get indexed so if you're using all those cutesy things and it indexes it's the chances of you showing up in the search you want to show up in are less although not zero um so if you are going to create a section on your board to organize your content and you don't have a board for that section so for example i have a board i don't talk about social media i talk about pinterest so I have a board for social media tips, and in that in that board, I have sections for Facebook, Instagram, whatever other social medias I put in there at the time. I don't have any intention on ever talking about Instagram, so I'm not going to create an Instagram marketing board, but if you were an Instagram marketer and you didn't have a board about Instagram marketing, and you were going to create a section for that inside your social media board, I would create the board rather than the section. Mm. And the number of words, because you're like you've said, trends, related searches, the ads manager, the search bar, those are places that you can be able to really see and the ones that are in bold. So if someone does spends one hour and says, okay, I'm going to do my research, make sure everything is together. I, are they going to be looking for the words that resonate or show up all the time when they do this related searches? And then when they're putting them on the boards, are they going to do them verbatim? What is that process looking like? Yeah. So in the search bar and then in the related search section embedded in the pins, when you find those little boxes. So let's just start with the search bar. When you type in like social media and then there's an autofill that happens in the search bar right underneath and your cursor still blinking, the top search results in that autofill are the most commonly searched. So the ones higher at the list are the ones that are that have the most search volume. Then if you're looking inside, so Pinterest trends is kind of hard to distinguish because it's just telling you when content is most popular. Right. So I don't look at Pinterest trends to see volume on keywords. If you do want to see volume, you can use the search keyword search feature in ads manager. And they started adding long tail keywords into that 
um, search as well in the ads manager. And it actually tells you how many monthly searches that keyword has. So if I were to go to the search right now in my ads manager and search for like social media strategy, if that comes up and I have a feeling it would, it's probably about 5 million monthly searches. So you can see the volume and you definitely want to use the keywords that have a high volume. Now, when I teach Google SEO strategy, it's different because we know the volume and the competition on Google because we can see it with our tools, but we don't have that feature or that ability with Pinterest. So generally speaking, I do what you had mentioned and I use the most searched terms for my boards, my titles. Um, you don't necessarily want to do them verbatim because it is a machine. And once they introduced guided search about 10 years ago, nine, nine or 10 years ago, the tiles were at the top so that you could search like social media and hit enter and then there would be tiles across the top and if people could click the tiles in whatever order they wanted it was like bingo and it would just put words in the search bar in what in whatever order and they would hit enter so depending on how many times people did that that registers a keyword search so if they typed in social media and then they put 2021 tips strategy you don't want to use that phrase because it's not human-esque is what i call it so you want to put it in the order that you would say it as a human and the machine knows the difference mm, i like that so it's not like verbatim and now you're restructuring your english it's more so you're being intentional about how you're saying it so that when it screen reads it makes sense that's beautiful. Always work with humans in mind, not a machine. The machine is smart enough to know what you're looking for and what they're looking for. Yeah, I believe so too. Now, I'm thinking about Pinterest from the perspective of someone who is a blogger and also somebody who is maybe into products. What things should they be looking out for to build that site authority outside Pinterest? Because <laughs> I got to recently, one of our clients was talking about Pinterest. And I mean, some sometimes like you hear, oh, Pinterest, I can't be able to do this. Or Pinterest is not working for me. Or I don't even know how I got on Pinterest in the first place. So when I hear those things, it makes me wonder... Is Pinterest really the place where people search for things or is that just for a specific type of audience? So when you look at those two avatars, what do they have to think about when they're going in and making sure their content is seen outside Pinterest? Yeah, so as a business, as a product-based business, a lot of e-commerce shops, especially the new ones coming on the market, this dropshipping has gotten so popular in the last five years. Um they are not coming online with the same thought process as brick and mortars did 10 to 15 years ago, thinking about content strategy. Um, so if you're just coming online and you're thinking as you're a product seller, think about using Pinterest, you should definitely consider having some sort of content strategy on your website where you educate and inspire people on how to use your products in their life. Um, you can you can break down objections in those posts. It's not like 
you're writing about your grandma's chicken casserole recipe, you're not a blogger and that's not your purpose with using a blog or a content strategy as a product seller. You're really using that space to educate your potential customer on how to use your product, on how to troubleshoot if you have an issue with your product or whatever. Um, so that's kind of one thing that I think of when you ask that question for product sellers specifically. Yeah. For bloggers, like you got to get with a program if you're not going to create blog content that people care about and they need, that solves a problem, you're going to be irrelevant really quick. So um, most bloggers are probably pretty aware of what they need to do. Now, <clears throat> a couple of things that people can do if they have a website, whether a product or a blog is to add a pin it button to their site and you can do that really easily with social sharing plugins like social warfare or tasty pins it automatically puts the pin, pin it button on all your images um, and that also adds sharing buttons to your content so to your products and to your blog content and it allows people just to very quickly share on your behalf it's free marketing your content to platforms like pinterest a lot of people when they're coming online as a business, they're coming to me and they're saying, you know, I've got traffic coming from Pinterest. I didn't even know I could do this. One of my clients sells um, tiny home plans. He's a blueprint creator. And he realized that Pinterest was a great place for him because people were pinning his blueprints to Pinterest, which is perfect, right? They're yeah. planning to build a house. So they found his blueprints. They pinned it to the platform. And that's how he got introduced to Pinterest because he had this traffic coming and he didn't know why. So by adding those pivot buttons, by optimizing your site for Pinterest users, by creating tall images instead of just square, so a thousand by 2000 is a really common size to be vertical, um, you are optimizing then for Pinterest users and, and giving them that ability to pin your content for you. I don't know if that answers your question. but It does, it really does. It does because I'm thinking as soon as you said those tall pictures, I realized that the the longer the picture, the more the interaction, the more the watch time and the more the conversion. It takes up more real estate. Now, they did about three years ago start clipping off pins in the feed because people were creating like 3,000 pixel, so pinners were figuring out that the more real estate they took up on the screen, the more likely people were to interact with their images. And Pinterest got wise to that. And they're like, you know what? We're going to clip these off because it's, it's actually creating a negative impact for users overall on the platform. Like mm. they have to scroll, scroll, scroll in order to get to the end. So you definitely want to stay... Um, I think I do a thousand by nineteen hundred is the longest that I do, or a thousand by two thousand. It's still that one to two or two to three. That's kind of what you want it to be longer, um, but it doesn't get clipped off in the feed. Now, the smaller the phone, which we went really big for a long time, and now we're starting to go back small again. So, the smaller the phone, the more likely you are to get clipped off. So one thing that I will say if you're going to use longer images is to make sure all your important text is at the top. Nice. So at the top is is showing that you have full proof of that content and because it's also ranking on SEO, it's going to be crawled first. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. 
what I mean by putting your text at the top. Like when you create your pin design, if you're going to create a long image, put your text at the top because they will always see the top of your pin, but they may not always see the bottom of your pin. Oh, I see what you mean. Like the headline of your, your image mm-hmm. so that it's more attractive that yes. they, for them to click on. Okay. Yeah. And then they're not just confused why there's this macaroni dish on their screen, but they don't actually know if it's non-dairy or dairy. Right. right. They actually have to scroll and figure it out. And if you have to make people do extra work, they're not going to do it. So exactly. If you're going to create long pins, best practice is to put your text overlay at the top. I like that. Uh, one thing. Wait, before I even go there. At the top, what about the center? Does that do anything or it kind of blocks it out? Okay. on how long the image is. It could get cut off. So if you put your text in the center and there's an image at the top and an image at the bottom, it could get cut off even halfway you know, down the middle. It just depends on the device that they're using. So just best practice is to just put the text overlay at the top if you're going to do a long, long image. Nice. Yeah, I just wanted to be sure about that so that people can have that idea. Now, I was going to say <laughs> something. There's this con- misconception about idea pins and video pins because you can do both and have the same result but you'd rather have an idea pin because it's it's seen first before the video pin but the video pin does better because you can have an outbound click to it so when people are trying to batch content create how can they structure those two out so they don't duplicate clients is for every pillar piece of content that they have we're creating one idea pin right now now we'll come back later and create additional versions but we are making sure that we're creating if they have video content now if they don't have video content we just create moving graphics or animate it in canva and we download it as an mp4 and that's the video pin it's not exactly a video pin right because it's not a full video but it's animated and it acts like a video and it's a video file so we're always we're always making sure pillar content has at least one idea pin from the start so if it's a brand new piece of content that's going into our workflow for the month and if it's older content then we're just making sure that it's trend based or relevant currently or in the next 90 days and we'll put that into our workflow um I would just say, like, stagger them by the week. So this week, create an idea pin. Next week, create a video pin. Don't make it too stressful on yourself. Oh, so it's pretty much a mix of media. So you can have a video Mm -hmm. pin today, an idea pin tomorrow, a static pin the next day. It shouldn't be, like, idea pins seven days a week. No, no, no. And that's a lot of work because idea pins, best practice around idea pins is five slides at a minimum, first slide being video you want to add some music like they're kind of complicated it's definitely not a 101 strategy it's like a 201 strategy like my friend jana likes to say so when you're creating your idea pins if you can create them on mobile you can add music stickers tag people you can do all the fun stuff like with instagram stories if you do them on desktop you don't get that capability so just keep that in mind I like that because you're mentioning about uploading on desktop and also uploading on the mobile. Is there an effect in discoverability? Because like you mentioned earlier that the the first few minutes or pretty much the first hour really depends on how p- the performance of that post is. Some people use third-party apps like Later Planoly or Tailwind and some people use the, the app natively. 
So is there going to be a clear difference between posting them on different platforms like that? And why? No. So Pinterest actually doesn't care if you use a scheduler. Um, They said this in conferences. They said this on webinars. Like they are very clear and you get the same answer and you don't usually get the same answer from Pinterest employees from one to the next or one department to the next. Um, They seem to be in their own little bubbles. But this is one answer I have gotten from multiple departments, from multiple conferences and webinars. They don't care if you use a scheduler. They don't see the difference. The indexing still works the same, with an exception. If you upload video pins on a scheduling tool, you cannot add the related tags that you can on desktop or mobile. So if you upload it to Pinterest directly, you can add some additional tags. Now you can do that on the native Pinterest app or the desktop, like web browser, but you cannot do that on third parties. Now you can't actually upload, you you cannot, I wanna make sure people understand that. You cannot do anything with idea pins on a third party app at all, or carousels for that matter. It just, it's not a capability that any of the API integrations have. So if you want to create idea pins, story pins, or upload video pins and have that additional tagging feature, which is good for indexing, you have to do that natively on the browser or the app. I like that because it keeps you in the app and that's the whole point of being there. You know, being outside shows that you don't care and there needs to be that human to human interaction. So with with that said, I look I like how you put out the video pins and the structure and the layout of, you know, what you're supposed to put out there. Some people use and I've seen it work for people and it works and some people kind of bypass it. I love how your your video cover is for your Pinterest. It's very welcoming because it's like going into a house. You want to see something. I go to some profiles and I hear it's a motivational speech before I even scroll down. So when you think about branding, especially for Pinterest business, a lot of them don't use that feature. And is there a difference in conversion and loyalty to the brand when they do that as opposed to when they don't? So are you talking about the header image, like my video header yeah. profile? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So used to, you would just default to a pin collage and you got to choose two options. You got to choose pins from a specific board or just a mixture of your most recent pins. So that's kind of what it's defaulted to now. It's just your most recent pins that get pinned to the platform. They'll be in that banner unless you change it. And they gave us the option about a year and a half ago to upload an image. So like, I think it's a 1920 by 1080. So it's like a presentation size or a video to that space. So that just gives people more leniency and leeway to be creative and inspire their audience, which is the whole purpose of Pinterest is to inspire people to take their life offline. That's their, that's their mission. So you can use that space to inform people about your brand and about who you serve and what you do um, in a very quick way. So I think the video in that space, I'm not 100% sure, but I wanna say it's about 30 seconds in length is mine. And I just created them in Canva as a presentation. It's, It's slides and I downloaded it as an MP4 file. So you can do the same thing very easily and just inform people about your brand and what you do and who you do it for. And it's definitely like an eye catcher. It helps to inform them 
when they land on your profile, who you are, who you serve, and who what you do for that person. And that's kind of what your focus should be. It should never be about yourself. It should always be about the person on the other screen. Yeah, I believe so too. Now, this is the, the last part of the question. And I saved the last, the best for last. Not that the others are not as good, but I think this is really going to help everybody, you know, cap everything together. And this is based on advertising because some people say that they, they, they don't know how to advertise on Pinterest. Some do, and it's organic. And then when you look at the stats, they kind of go together. So those keywords that you searched for the, that first time, how does it play a role in your overall account as far as you being the target or you being the focus or that thought leader for that particular um, search intent? How does the ads play and what's the best practice for those ads? Because some people say a dollar, $25, $50 a day. People don't really know what to spend and even how to start an ad. So could you take us through like a quick sequence on how they should use those keywords for organic and also paid advertising? Yeah, so the keywords that you're finding for your content for organic, you use them throughout your profile. Um, I like to create boards for my profile based on topics that I talk about in my business. So you'll want to do something similar in yours. And then you can use those keywords in your ads as well. But really when I'm thinking about ads, I'm thinking very specific to that campaign. So I might create content on my, on Pinterest. I might pin content on Pinterest. Um, that's, you know, I create content in five different buckets in my business. I create an ad campaign talking about Pinterest marketing, which I run one consistently. I just don't have it on right now because I'm switching funnels around. But um, I will have an ad campaign on about Pinterest marketing, but I may not use my content marketing keywords in there. Like I know what keywords work for me the best in that campaign because I've ran this campaign consistently for two years. So what I like to do when I'm running ads, and it's going to be different for everybody, but you want to have a goal, obviously, of what you're going to run your ad to, what what the objective is that you want to achieve. And then from that, you are going to look at your overall, like if your goal is signups, if you just want to get email list subscribers, then obviously you can be a little bit more nitpicky in how much you spend. You can spend less. Like I consistently run ads for $5 a day and that's it for just lead generation. And that allows me the capability to put three to 400 leads on a month on my list. But right behind that, and see this is where we're getting into the whole goal. My goal is not just to get email list subscribers. I wanna sell my Tripwire product to pay for that ad spend. So I'm getting free email list subscribers, but I'm also qualifying those leads that are coming into my list. And those people who are buying are more likely to, to enroll in my membership or they're more likely to book a call with me because they've invested with me already. So when you're thinking about your ad campaigns, you want to think about your overall goal and how much you actually want to spend to acquire a lead. Uh, on average, in the B2B space, I'm seeing leads cost $1.75 to $2.75 a pop, which is a little expensive. But I'm also seeing that happening on Facebook with the ad apocalypse over there. Mm-hmm. With, with COVID and everything that happened, just ad costs in general went up because it's more competitive. There are more people online. So you got to think about that. Like, how much do you want to spend on a lead? If it's out of your budget, then, you know, maybe ads aren't good for you right now. 
or maybe you need to add on a product behind that sign up to actually recoup your ad spend. So it's worth it for you. Um, as far as like daily spend and how much you should spend, it's going to be dependent upon your product and the, the audience that you're trying to reach. So I was doing some uh, consulting for a jewelry client recently and they sell jewelry anywhere from $99 to $7,000. So they can afford to spend two to $300 to acquire a sale if they're selling a $7,000 piece. So it's really going to be dependent upon your product and how much it costs, especially if it's physical. If there is manufacturing and shipping involved, you have to take all of those components into consideration when you're figuring out what your budget should be um, and how much you're willing to pay for that sale. So there's a lot more that goes into ads. We could make a whole nother one of these out of just ads. Um, now, when it comes to keywords and ads, you need to be relevant. So you want to use relevant long tail keywords in your ads. You don't want to just use the word like cheese. If you're selling a cheese grater, you want to like use keywords related to housewares and like kitchen gadgets and things like that. Um, so I like to use long tail phrases and I'm trying to get used to saying this more. So not just long tail keywords because keywords signifies that it's just a, a word or two. Right. But a keyword phrase is like three or more words together. So I like to use anywhere from 50 to 300, depending on the type and the, the objective of the campaign um, and the amount of budget I have to spend. You said 50 to 300? Keywords, yes. So, for example, in search only campaigns, so you can set up campaigns on Pinterest that are only search terms. So, only if people search for this term will your ad show up in search. Mm -hmm. And if you use that style of campaign, then you can use more keywords. Mm, yeah, and they say at least 25. So, when you said 50, I was like, okay, that makes that kind of like beating the algorithm so that you can rank for those right things. Mm -hmm. That's and Pinterest reps are never going to tell you, like if you get it on a call with Pinterest rep, they're going to tell you not to use that many keywords. I use that many keywords, but I'm also actively uh, refining my campaigns and optimizing them. So after a week of running a campaign with 300 keywords, I'm archiving ones that aren't getting any spend. Oh, got it. Because you're tracking that at the ad groups detail section. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. Wow, this you're definitely gonna come back <laughs> because we want we want to definitely you know make sure you understand this one hour has been intense. I love it. I'm so happy that you're able to be here. And one more thing, Heather, how can people find you? Like, if somebody wants to say, okay, I want to sign up right now to our membership. What can I do? Where can they be able to find you? Yeah, so I actually need to add the membership to my website. I haven't done that yet. So the membership is really low cost, really low barrier to entry. I wanted to do that on purpose. It's pinprofitacademy.com. Or if you just want to find me online, it's heatherferris.com. Amazing. Wow. Thank you so much, Heather, for being here. I Thanks, really appreciate Heather. it. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Well, we have to chat about you coming into the academy. Um so I want to have you in my group. Ooh, I'd love to be there. That's exciting. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Why not? 
Hey, let's go. <laughs> awesome. Thank, thank you once again, and I'm wishing you a wonderful, wonderful time.